Hello, and welcome to Hansard but Sleepy, for people who love Parliament, and for people who love sleep. Today, we'll be reading from Volume 661 of the House of Commons. Let's get started. Hong Kong, 10 June 2019, volume 661, 4.09pm. Catherine West, Hornsey and Wood Green, for Labour. Urgent question. To ask the Secretary of State for Foreign and Commonwealth Affairs if he will make a statement on the impact of the Hong Kong extradition law on the Sino-British Joint Declaration. The Minister for Asia and the Pacific, Mark Field. The UK government remain acutely aware of our enduring responsibility towards Hong Kong. As one of the joint signatories to the 1984 Joint Declaration that established the principle of one country, two systems. This principle, underpinned by the common law system, provides Hong Kong with the foundations for its continued success as a truly global financial centre and prosperous world city. Let me turn to the current issues around the ramification of the Hong Kong government's contentious proposals to change their extradition laws. Yesterday's huge protest was a march, peaceful right up until the end was a clear demonstration of the strength of feeling in Hong Kong. Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, has insisted that new legislation is needed to close a loophole that has prevented a Hong Kong national accused of murdering another Hong Kong national in Taiwan from facing justice. Yet the Taiwanese administration also opposed the charges, while civil society and business and legal groups in Hong Kong have expressed the strongest concerns about the content of the proposals and the very short consultation period. Many fear above all that Hong Kong nationals and residents risk being pulled into China's legal system, which can involve lengthy pre-trial detentions, televised confessions, and an absence of many of the judicial safeguards that we see in Hong Kong and in the UK. 
while we welcome recent efforts by the Hong Kong government to react to the unprecedented level of public concern of the 7 million people living in Hong Kong, between 300,000 and 1 million were on the streets yesterday. The Foreign and Commonwealth Office is clear that the changes proposed fail to address fully some core issues that we and others have raised. The UK government have been unequivocal in their views. From the outset, the Consul General, Andy Hayne, and my officials have been raising concerns with the Hong Kong government. Members of the Hong Kong Legislative Council and the Executive Council at all levels. We have also had full and detailed discussions with Chief Executive Carrie Lam, both bilaterally and as part of an EU demarche. On 30 May, the Foreign Secretary issued a joint statement with his Canadian counterpart on the potential impact of the proposals on our citizens in Hong Kong, including on business confidence and on Hong Kong's international reputation. Some Hong Kong lawmakers have proposed an array of alternative solutions, including that additional legally binding human rights safeguards be included in the proposed legislation. In my meeting in London on 20 May with the Hong Kong Secretary for Commerce and Economic Development, Edward Yao, I made it clear that proper consideration must be given to all these suggestions as part of a wider and more comprehensive consultation. More time for consultation would allow for a more adequate consensus to be built. As the House will be aware, the operation of the court system on mainline China very different from that which applies in Hong Kong. There are widespread concerns that fear of extradition to China might have a chilling effect on Hong Kong's rights and freedoms and result in increased self-censorship. We shall continue to stress to the Hong Kong and Chinese authorities that confidence in the one country, two systems policy to be maintained. Hong Kong 
must enjoy the full measure of its high degree of autonomy and rule of law as set out in the joint declaration and enshrined in the basic law. Catherine West It is very disappointing that the Secretary of State could not make it to the chamber for the one million Hong Kong residents who took to the streets yesterday who protest against their government's proposed extradition bill. If enacted, the law would allow suspected criminals to be extradited to mainland China, bypassing Hong Kong's independent legal system. Over the past few weeks, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, the business community, civil society organizations, the Hong Kong Bar Association, and the International Chamber of Commerce have all expressed deep concern that the bill will further erode the one country, two systems model. The law courts on mainland China are seen as an arm of the state. Forced confession is frequently practiced and activists often fear imprisonment for crimes they have not committed. Hong Kong's common law system is not open to such abuse, as the minister mentioned in his introduction remarks, and although it is under pressure, the separation of powers remains more or less intact. The amendments to the extradition law would significantly compromise the firewall that separates the sharply different systems. times we have watched with great unease as political and civic freedoms have been put under increasing strain. Those freedoms are guaranteed under the basic law, a core component of the Sino-British Joint Declaration. As the co-signatory to that treaty, which is registered at the United Nations, the government have a legal duty to ensure that it is upheld. The last governor of Hong Kong, Lord Patton of Barnes, 
this bill's provisions were, begin, quote, an assault on Hong Kong's values, stability, and security. They create fear and uncertainty at a time when we should all be working to safeguard Hong Kong's reputation as one of the world's greatest business and cultural centers. End of quote. Does the minister agree with his colleague's assessment? And will he outline how the government intend to address this issue in the immediate future, alongside long-standing concerns about the erosion of democratic principles in Hong Kong? We have a long and enduring history with Hong Kong, and we have lasting political, economic, and cultural ties. As we mark the 21st anniversary of the handover next month, it is crucial for us to keep our promise that Hong Kong will never walk alone. Also, a good example of tough cases making bad law. There is a potential loophole, but it is interesting to note that it is not one that the Taiwanese authorities have asked to be sorted out.
serious crime, murder, and there is clearly no extradition prospect, but as the Honourable Lady rightly pointed out, this opens up a potentially much broader extradition-related concern. As I mentioned in my initial comments, one of the biggest concerns is that particularly at a time when President Xi has a strong anti-corruption campaign in place, there is a risk that individuals could be caught up in this in a very inadvertent way. While there are proposed safeguards, it is proposed to raise the extradition level from a three-year custodial sentence to one of at least seven years. The situation, nonetheless, still raises the deep concerns to which the Honourable Lady referred. Fiona Bruce of Congleton for the Conservatives. Lord Patton has said that the decision to exclude any extradition agreement between Hong Kong and mainland China in 1997 was not a loophole, but a deliberate decision that was made in order to protect the autonomy of Hong Kong and the firewall between it and China. Does the minister agree that if countries speak with one voice in expressing concerns about this issue, there is likely to be more of an impact? What is the UK doing to join like-minded countries in expressing such concerns? Mark Field I thank my honourable friend who takes great interest in matters to do broadly with China also specifically with Hong Kong, and I pay tribute to her for her detailed and steadfast work in that regard. Yes, she is right. We need to work together as an international community on this. It is perhaps fair to put it on record that there are already some extradition arrangements between some countries in Hong Kong. Obviously, we are deeply concerned that this particular law provides a much more general overview, particularly as it engages the Chinese mainland. But I will, if I may, reiterate what my right honourable friend, the Foreign Secretary and his Canadian counterpart, Christina Freeland, said as recently as 30 May. vital that extradition arrangements in Hong Kong are in line with one country, two systems, and fully respect Hong Kong's high degree of autonomy. End quote. Helen Goodman, representing Bishop Auckland for Labour. Thank you for granting this urgent question, Mr. Speaker. I also want to congratulate my honourable friend, the member for Hornsey and Wood Green, Catherine West, on securing it. 
share her profound concern about these extradition laws, as evidently do hundreds of thousands of Hong Kong citizens who jumped in the streets over the weekend. These laws constitute not just an erosion, but a fundamental breach of the Sino-British Declaration and the One Country, Two Systems principle enshrines. They threaten the judicial independence of Hong Kong. The warning signs have been coming for several years now. We have seen an increasing crackdown on dissent and protest. The prospect of a direct line between Beijing and Hong Kong's courts that could see Hong Kongers sent thousands of miles away to face trial in mainland China's flawed criminal justice system. The UK does not have an extradition treaty with China, so why have the government done next to nothing? The Joint Declaration is a legally binding treaty registered government of the joint guarantor with China of the rights of Hong Kong citizens. Moreover, there are 170,000 British national overseas passport holders, many of whom reside in Hong Kong. The concessions offered by the Hong Kong government in the last few hours have no legal force. So I have one question for the minister. Will he make every effort to persuade the executive in Hong Kong to halt the progress of these highly dangerous extradition amendments before Wednesday's crunch votes? Mark Field I thank the Honourable Lady for her comments, although I think some of them are a little unkind to officials, ministers, and also more particularly our excellent Consul General. Andy Hain, who has been out in Hong Kong, as we have recognised that this issue has been emerging for quite some time. As I mentioned in my earlier comments, it is also fair to say that we have consistently, certainly in my two years as a minister, that every six-monthly report expressed ongoing concerns about the deterioration as we have seen it and political and civil rights. It is probably fair to say that these proposals, the proposed extradition law, did not originate at China's instigation. But there is no doubt that the Hong Kong government are now under distinct pressure from Beijing. We believe that some opportunities to climb down have been missed. Given the huge public display of defiance yesterday, as I have said, up until the last few moments it was very peaceful. Combined with concerted opposition from the international business and legal communities has not been able to turn the tide. I say to the Honourable Lady that of course we will do all we can. this week by his very able assistant Esther Blythe is back in Hong Kong and we will do all that we can to make further urgent progress.
representations to the Hong Kong government. Let's move on. Let's move on to another part of Hansard. We'll stay within the same volume. Volume 661. Ford in Bridge End, 10 June 2019, 5.23 p.m. The Secretary of State for Wales, Alan Cairns. With your permission, Mr. Speaker, I would like to make a statement about the future of Ford's engine plant in Bridge End, South Wales. On Thursday, Ford announced the start of a consultation with its unions concerning the potential closure of the Ford Bridge End engine plant in South Wales. I'm not going to understate what a bitter blow this is to the 1,700 skilled and dedicated workers of Ford and Bridgend and their families, to the many more people and businesses who supply the plant, and to the town of Bridgend and the wider community. Our focus will be on working with Ford and the unions to understand the challenges and opportunities and to gain the best possible outcomes. I have spoken with the company, the unions and colleagues across the house. Colleagues at Job Centre Plus are standing ready to provide advice and support to people if required. I live close by and absolutely understand the importance of this plant to the local community. The site has been worth over three billion pounds to the local economy over the last ten years. The town of Bridgend has proudly been home for 40 years to a world-class engine manufacturing facility. Ford has relied on Bridgend and Dagenham to supply one third of its total engines worldwide. The fact held with great pride by the employees. We have known for some time that the production of the Sigma engine was coming to its natural end. 
and that the Jaguar Land Rover contract would not be renewed. But the news that the Dragon engine may no longer be produced in the UK is disappointing, to say the least. It is very disappointing that it could be taken out of the UK and, in fact, out of Europe to be manufactured in Mexico. that this was not a decision about Brexit. The decision was about the challenging conditions faced right across the global automotive sector. Bridgend has been particularly impacted by the downturn in Ford's share of the passenger vehicle market in Europe, with volumes of the new Dragon engine significantly below the installed capacity at the site. Ford is restructuring its business across Europe to significantly decrease structural costs and allow for investment in future electrification. To that end, it is optimizing its European manufacturing footprint reducing operations in France, Germany, and Spain. Bridgend is significantly underutilized, with projections of the number of engines that it will produce falling far below what would be commercially viable in a single plant. Bridgend also faces a significant cost disadvantage compared with other Ford facilities around the world building the same engine. I have spoken to my right honourable friends, the business secretary, colleagues in the Welsh government, the trade unions and other representatives since Ford's announcement last week. The business secretary and I have spoken with local members of parliament too. Together we will continue to engage with all stakeholders and elected representatives. Although the Honourable Member for Bridgend, Mrs Moon, cannot be in the chamber today, I spoke with her on Friday. jointly since it was confirmed 
of the Jaguar Land Rover engine would end in 2020. It was important that it built on the Honda Task Force, working together to support the automotive industry in general. We are already looking at opportunities to attract new investment to the area. I remain optimistic that South Wales is an attractive proposition and place for industry to operate from. across the house have worked hard for over the last three years to make the case for investment in Britain. Despite the devastating news for South Wales operations, all its commitments to the UK will remain as a major employer of some 10,000 people, with other significant operations in the country, including Ford's technical centre in Dunton, Essex, which is home to Ford's European market-leading commercial vehicle business, Ford's engine facility in Dagenham, where it will continue to produce diesel engines, Ford's mobility innovation office in London, where it will develop future mobility solutions in Europe, and the Halewood transmission plant producing transmissions for cars such as the Ford Fiesta. It remains the case that Ford, as an American company with a century-long history of operating successfully in the UK, undoubtedly recognises our international reputation as a place to do business with skilled and innovative staff. Access to innovation and a strong determination to make those strengths even greater in the years ahead. This is the government's ambition, as is well evidenced by the steps we have most recently taken to build on the successes of our automotive sector deal. Our Advanced Propulsion Centre has awarded grants worth more than £800 million more than 150 organisations across the UK. Just last month, the Under Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, my honourable friend, the member for Pendle, Andrew Stevenson, announced a further £28 million of support to further enhance our UK battery industrialisation centre giving investment of more than £100 million in a world-leading facility to enable industry and academia.
industry, 18 million pounds of investment through our Driving the Electric Revolution program will see support for innovation in electric motor technologies. We are determined to ensure that the UK remains one of the most competitive locations in the world for automotive and other advanced manufacturing. The announcement of this consultation by Ford is a disappointing blow, but the government's bold mission to put the UK at the forefront of the design and manufacturing of zero-emission vehicles presents significant new opportunities for the UK. That includes new industries and ventures that will be well suited to the skills and expertise of those dedicated workers at Ford and their suppliers. I remain committed to ensuring that Bridgend and other parts of Wales benefit from that work. We will continue to work with the Welsh Government and our many partners across the industry as we seize the opportunity for Britain to provide great jobs and careers for hundreds of thousands of people across our country in the years ahead. I commend the statement to the House. 5.31pm Christina Rees Ian Labour slash Cooperative Secretary of State for advance sight of his statement. Last Thursday's news of the closure of the Ford plant in Bridgend was absolutely devastating for the exceptional workforce, their families, the town of Bridgend and the wider South Wales community. As a former Bridgend County Borough Councillor, I completely understand. It is absolutely devastating for the businesses and Ford supply chains and the tens of thousands employed in them. And it is absolutely devastating for the automotive sector, UK manufacturing, and our entire economy. Ford must rethink its plans to strip away 1,700 highly skilled, quality jobs from the area do all they can to support those dedicated workers. This news is disastrous for all concerned. The chaos caused by the Tory government's calamitous handling of Brexit, coupled with the Secretary of State's continuing inability to stand up for Wales, has allowed Ford to deliver a hammer blow to the workers in Bridgend and the Welsh economy. This is a betrayal of the hard-working and loyal staff who have been committed to delivering savings and making the bridge-end plan one of the most efficient in the world. It is clear that Ford needs urgently to reverse this treacherous decision and to stand by the highly skilled workforce of bridge-end rather than chasing profits via cheaper markets in places such as Mexico and 
case, Volvo Ford no longer produces a single vehicle in the UK, despite its growing market share of car sales. Companies such as Ford originally chose to locate production plants in the UK because it was renowned for its skilled workforce and seen as economically stable compared with other turbulent markets across the world. The government's botched Brexit has changed this and is causing chaos and uncertainty and undermining business confidence. Ford is just the latest in a long list of companies, including Airbus, Nissan, Honda, and Jaguar Land Rover, to halt investment, cut jobs plants as a direct result of this uncertainty. We know that the Tory government offered Nissan a deal, but Ford offered a deal. There can be no doubt that this government's reckless threats of no deal, accelerated by a self-indulgent leadership contest with hard Brexit contenders, is having an impact business decisions across the UK, not just in Wales. Yet again, this is catastrophic news for Wales, news that has come as a direct result of UK government shortcomings where Wales is concerned and that follows their shortcomings on rail electrification. The Swansea Bay Tidal Lagoon and the steel industry. This is one of just a string of failures on the Secretary of State's watch. I call on him to apply pressure on Ford to do the right thing and rethink its catastrophic plans. I thank my honourable friend, the member for Bridge End, Mrs Moon, all the work that she has done to support the plant and its workforce, now and in many previous years. I also thank my honourable friend, the member for Ogmore, Chris Elmore, who represents the neighbouring constituency, for all that he is doing to support the many hundreds of people in the area who are being affected. work at Bridge and Ford and its supply chain, and I thank the trade unions. The automotive industry is the backbone of our manufacturing sector, supporting highly skilled, quality employment, and making an enormous contribution to our economy. But its future in Bridge End and across the UK is in jeopardy. I call on the Secretary of State to do now what he has failed to do previously and stand up for Wales. He must speak with cabinet colleagues to seek the financial support and stimulus which will match what has already been committed by the Welsh Government. Thank you.
tone that she chose to take, which contrasted with the tone adopted by both the Welsh government and the unions. Earlier, the business secretary and I spoke to Ken's gates, the unions and many local members of parliament as part of a communications plan to share our ambitions and discuss the steps that we will take before the task force meets, hopefully later this week. Ken Skates and I will be joint vice chairs of that task force, and there will also be a chair from industry. That demonstrates the joint approach that we are taking in a constructive way, recognising that this is a commercial decision made by Ford because of the change in the marketplace caused by the shift from petrol and diesel engines to electric vehicles. I commend the Welsh government for the joint working that they have demonstrated so far. And I commend the unions for their engagement and the tone that they have adopted in the discussions. Thank you for listening to Hansard But Sleepy. For people who love Parliament and for people who love sleep. Today we heard from volume 661 of the House of Commons. If you enjoy Hansard But Sleepy, consider subscribing via Anchor or Spotify or any other podcasting platform you can find us on. Thank you again for listening. Good night.